welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Uh, today, uh, David, you're going to talk a little bit about uh, your new book, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery, that just was released this past week. No, I'm excited to talk about the book. I, it's a book I actually started in 2013, and I thought it was going to be a quick rewrite, and I'd have it out in a month or two. Um, I had to rewrite the whole book. I've learned a lot. Lots of things have changed. And what's happening in modern medicine, especially in spine care, is that we're doing, we have better technology. In other words, we're able to do operations that I never dreamed about 30 years ago. And my learning curve has been high. We've done all sorts of things with people that are nothing short of miraculous. And spine surgery that's done correctly for the right reasons works beautifully. I mean, it's a miracle. But what's happening is that a lot of spine surgery, surgery is being done in basically normal spines for people's age. And so if you're 60 years old and have degeneration and bone spurs, that's normal. It's a normally aging spine. And there's an awful lot of surgery being done on disc degeneration, there's no data to support it. There's no data, there's no data to support it should ever be done. In fact, it's the opposite. We know disc degeneration is normal. It's been documented to not be a source of pain. In fact, it's so documented that on every radiology report in Seattle, it came from the University of Washington. Dr. Jarvik points out that on every, every radiology report that discusses disgeneration that this is a normal finding for a person's age. So we don't know where back pain comes from most of the time. We actually know that it does not come from disgeneration. It is one of the most common reasons to perform surgery for back pain is disgeneration. Then the success rate for that operation is about 22%. There's still not one paper that says that it works. And then any paper that compares spine surgery to any semblance of rehab shows, shows that the rehab works better. But we're up upwards of 10 to $20 billion, somewhere between 10 to $20 billion a year for spine surgery just for disc degeneration. And if you did the operation just to try it without a downside risk to it, so be it. But it has a significant complication rate 15 to 20% chance of go, going back to the operating room within a year or two. There's also a chance of the screws being misplaced and actually damaging nerves. There's deep wound infections. And the bigger problem is that people often have more pain after the surgery than they did before. In five to 10% of the time, it can become permanent. That was my practice the last five years. I saw three to five patients every week that have spine surgery done on relatively normal spines that were worse a lot worse. And the comment I often heard was if I just knew, who bad, just knew how badly this could turn out, I never would have done the operation. So what the book does is called, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take Control with Advice from a Surgeon, is that it creates a grid of four choices. The first choice being, is what we're seeing on your spine amenable to surgery? In other words, can you see the problem with matching symptoms? We call that structural. The spine just shows some degeneration, sort of vague, nonspecific pain. There's nothing to fix because we don't know where the pain is coming from. 
So that's the first choice. Is it something that you actually can do surgery for or not? The second one is the status of your nervous system. Because if you're calm, coping with life reasonably well, when you do surgery in those circumstances, what people do well, works well. If you take somebody who's under stress, even if there's a surgical lesion, the nervous system's fired up, you're on high alert, your nerve conduction has doubled. Postoperatively, well, again, the data shows that when you operate in the presence of a sensitized, hypervigilant nervous system, that you can actually cause chronic pain up to 60% of the time. In five to 10% of the time, it can become permanent. Chronic pain is a complication of any procedure. It's a huge problem. I mean, that living your life in chronic pain, as the audience knows, is a disaster. Making it worse is a problem. And it's a big problem. So no matter what you do, even if you, even if you require surgery, it's really critical to calm down the nervous system. If you don't need surgery, that's great. In other words, if there's not a surgical lesion, that's great. But once you calm down the nervous system, even without surgery, pain goes away. It turns out chronic pain is a solvable problem, sometimes requiring surgery, most of the time not. But if you do need the surgery by calming down the nervous system, you dramatically increase the odds in your favor. So that's uh, something that most people wouldn't be aware of. For instance, they would think, you know, the surgeon tells me, hey, I'll, I'll do this surgery and it will actually relieve your pain. And instead, they may be stepping off into a much worse situation because they don't understand how, how their nervous system interplays with, with surgery and how things can actually be made worse. Right. And the problem is a lot worse. I mean, people's spines start breaking down. I've seen patients with multiple surgeries in a short period of time. I had one patient with 29 surgeries in 20 years, another nurse who had seven operations in 10 years, another gentleman who had eight surgeries in eight years. And what happens is that once you start on this cascade of multiple spine surgeries, it's hard to stop. I'll never forget one gentleman who just thought I had a normal spine. He was injured on the job. And within six weeks, they decided to do a fusion on him. And what they did, he went from just back pain, had not even given a chance for the acute injury to calm down. They decided to do a fusion on an abnormality that, that's basically normal for his age called a spondylolisthesis. They put a screw through his nerve root, his fifth nerve root, caused a foot drop, screaming leg pain, this guy went from a very normal active functioning life to permanent chronic pain down his leg. It destroyed his life. He didn't do the surgery. This is, again, just one example of hundreds that he turns up for hours that people have situations like that that cause major, major problems. But yeah, here's a guy, active middle age, very active athletic outdoorsman. Athleta has his life completely destroyed by an operation that he didn't need. So, so what you're trying to do is actually give uh, patients, a, uh, it sounds like, a set of tools similar to what you did in Back in Control, where Back in Control was focused on tools that people could use to relieve or eliminate their chronic pain. This is a set of tools to help you make a better decision, it sounds like, with your healthcare team about right. whether or not surgery is really the right solution. Right, and actually the thinking process, again, it organizes your sequence, so between one and four quadrants, 
in whatever quadrant, whatever quadrant you're in is a completely different set of choices. So if you need surgery, get it done. If you need surgery, optimize the outcome. If you don't need surgery, don't do it. I mean, if I could do just one thing and that's simply stop surgeries in situations that surgery isn't even a choice, the whole book would be worth it. Again, surgery done in the appropriate circumstance is wonderful. Surgery done without an indication really most of the time ends up a disaster and then sometimes catastrophic. But I am a surgeon. I like doing surgery. Nothing makes me happier than taking your problem and surgically solving it. You're happy, I'm happy, I'm the hero, feels great. But nothing makes you feel worse. And I, again, I went through a learning curve myself where I did eight years of doing aggressive surgery on disc degeneration. I was a zealot. I was very convinced that doing a fusion for back pain was the right thing. But there's no data. This was back in 1986. And the first real data came out in about 1993 that showed that the return to work rate in the state of Washington after a fusion for back pain was about 22%. That was it. And I just said, you know something, <clears throat> not working. And my patients were doing a little bit better. I think my return to work rate was about 45%. But I was working really hard on rehab at the time, even though I didn't know much about chronic pain. And at that point, when that paper came out, I just stopped. I said, look, this is not working very well for me. <clears throat> it's certainly not working out for the whole overall patient population. And so I didn't have any alternatives. And as my audience well knows, I went into chronic pain myself about 15 solid years after that or during that period of time. And that's how back in control evolved as my own personal experience in chronic pain. And I came out of it through a sequence of events that I didn't understand until years later. But that's why we think that the back in control book has been so effective because people can, I can look at any person and say, look, I know you're suffering as much as I did, but not more. I crossed the entire line and went the whole route. 15 years is a long time to be in chronic pain. And it got worse. I mean, every year that went by, it got worse and worse and worse, which is common, by the way, that people get worse without an additional injury. But the brain becomes very sensitized. It becomes full of stress chemicals, hyper alert, hyper vigilant, can't sleep. All those things affect pain. And I just went right down the whole spiral. What's been fascinating now the last five years is that our non-operative care has become very efficient. My surgical conversion rate was under 5% the last five years, normally it's between 10 and 20%. And I literally put myself out of business. What happened, even patients with surgical lesions, in other words, people I, in my first book, I said, look, if you have chronic pain and you have a structural bone spur causing sciatica or arm pain, do the surgery more aggressively because people with chronic pain don't tolerate the stress of more pain, right? Well, I did that. I was quite busy still with that philosophy. But then the data says that if you operate in the presence of untreated chronic pain, that you can make the pain worse 40 to 60% of the time. We started with a process called prehab, which is briefly described in my new book, where we would get people sleeping, adjust medications, learn about chronic pain, calm down the nervous system. And over 100 patients canceled their surgeries because their pain disappeared. And I flat out didn't expect that. And so between patients getting better without surgery anyway, I'm sorry, I did surgery in some patients. So when I did the operation with the prehab process, why results were consistently good, less pain, better rehab, much better outcomes, 
expectations were good. And one thing I did learn, I'll also bring this out in the book, is that if I'm doing surgery for your leg pain from a pinched nerve, I can get rid of your buttocks and leg pain consistently. That's very reliable. What I'm not going to get rid of is your back pain. Back surgery doesn't solve back pain. And that's where the conversation became much clearer the last few years of my practice in that, look, here's your leg pain, here's your back pain. If we get rid of just your leg pain and you were still left with the back pain, would it be worth going through the operation? And many times people said, no, really it's my back pain is a problem. As we went through the rehab process and solved their back pain, the leg pain wasn't that big of a deal or that would also often disappear. And again, my surgical practice became my elective surgical practice dropped to less than 5% of the patients that I saw. Now, how aware do you think uh, most other surgeons are of, of the data that you've, that you've studied and also um, their awareness of how the, you know, the nervous system can govern that experience of pain you know, and affect its severity? In the you know, we're not trained this way. I can't be really critical of other surgeons because I was that surgeon. I mean, I spent eight years doing aggressive surgery for pain, wasn't working very well. And then if I hadn't gone through my own chronic pain process for as long as I did, I just would not have understood what I understand now. We're not trained this way. We're trained that, in fact, I felt guilty if a patient came into my office with back pain and I couldn't find a reason to do the surgery. I felt guilty about it. And I think most surgeons feel the same way that person in my office, they tried everything else, they're desperate, we want to help you out. And I think the intentions are good. But the other problem is the way things are going is that there's a paper out of Baltimore that shows only 10% of spine surgeons, both neurosurgery, both neurosurgery and orthopedic surgery, only 10% are actually acknowledging the well-documented risk factors for poor outcomes. In other words, anxiety, lack of sleep, stress, high-dose medications, exercise, et cetera, all those things affect the perception of pain. It's been documented in hundreds, maybe thousands of research papers that these factors make a difference. Only 10% of surgeons are having those issues addressed before they make that decision to do surgery. The other problem we're getting into now is that we're being pushed to do the procedures because they're profitable. Many times visits are made, many time decisions are made on the first office visit. And one thing I did learn about many years ago before I knew about chronic pain is that if you're under personal stress, it changes your body's chemistry, which increases the pain. And so just simply asking a question, you know, what's going on? What's going on in your life that's new? And it's spouses dying, kids committing suicide, losing jobs, all sorts of stuff are happening to people all the time. I never did perform certain the presence of personal stress. But what happened, we would, you know, go through what we could do to support them, manage medications, et cetera. Then as they get past the stress over about six or eight weeks, sometimes a little bit longer, pain would disappear. We know that. We know that personal stress alters surgical outcomes. Right now, mainstream medicine is, is ignoring that data. There's another paper came out last month in the Journal of Pain that showed that every procedure we do, everyone, for knee pain or back pain has been documented to be absolutely ineffective in the presence of chronic pain. The problem is that chronic pain, the definition is that it is an embedded memory, that we're just memorized, that memory becomes connected with more and more life circumstances and the memory can't be 
can't be erased. So what happens, let's take phantom limb pain, where you've had a leg amputation or an arm amputation or a finger, you still feel the limb and you still feel the pain. Let's discuss your leg for a second. If the leg is gone, you can't do more surgery. There's nothing there. The phantom limb phenomenon occurs in any part of the body, headaches, mouth pain, facial pain, whatever it is, any repetitive impulse that comes in from the periphery gets into the circuits in your brain and becomes memorized. It doesn't matter what you do. Again, the data shows very clearly that procedures done in the presence of chronic pain don't work, yet they're huge revenue generators. Spine surgery is often one of the larger revenue generators in a given hospital, maybe the largest in most of them. We're actually being pushed hard by the business of medicine to do procedures that we know aren't effective. We're just pushed. And so we're literally pretending to offer medical care. And what's interesting, I've also been lecturing to the, um, the naturopathic world, to the chiropractors, physical therapists. And what's encouraging but also disturbing is that they're way ahead of us. They have neuroscience online courses. They have whole societies around the neuroscience of pain. They're doing all sorts of things to calm down the nervous system and make people better. And they're actually markedly more effective right now than mainstream medicine, who's not only not solving chronic pain, we're making it worse. This group has been remarkably inspiring to work with groups. I mean, there's different groups, but right now mainstream medicine is way behind these other specialties as far as solving chronic pain. So if, if, if I were uh, going into a surgeon's office and, you know, to, uh, evaluate the whole surgery process. Um, what would be, as a patient, what would be warning flags? What would, what would say, hey, it's, it's time to step back and rethink this. Uh, you know, what, it, what, if, if I saw these things going on in the presence of a, my discussion with a surgeon, what would tip me off as a warning? Well, a couple things. First of all, there is a one sheet that I put on the website. It's called Questions to Ask Your Surgeon. Now, I won't go through the whole sheet right now, but basically, if you see a surgeon on the first visit and you're seeing just by the nurse practitioner or PA, which is fine. I, I also use those people also, and they're very confident. But you have to be willing to have a prolonged discussion with your actual surgeon who's going to be operating on you about what's going on, number one. If you're scheduled for an operative procedure on the first visit, just go to another office. That should not be happening. Unless there's a, a tremendous amount of teamwork with other non-operative people. In other words, if you work with a physiatrist and a pain specialist to actually get you prepared for the surgical consultation, that's one thing. But most surgeons don't have that teamwork established. But there should be no decisions made on the first visit. You don't know the surgeon. The surgeon doesn't know you. The team doesn't know you. Second of all, there's many offices who actually require some type of imaging, in, imaging to be ordered by primary care before the surgeon can see the patient. Because the idea is that we want to make that decision on the first visit. That's another red flag. You have to know your surgeon. I mean, this is a much bigger decision than buying a house or a car, way bigger. You know, buying a, buying a house is a major investment. This is way bigger than that. So you can't make snap decisions. And then we, asked our patients to go through prehab for at least eight to 12 weeks, sometimes a lot longer, before we made the de decision to do surgery. 
it was a major spinal deformity patient, we would work with them one to two years. I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna segue here just for a second. I mean, the key to solving chronic pain is to change your body's chemistry from a stress profile of adrenaline, cortisol, and histamines to a relaxation profile of oxytocin, serotonin, and dopamine in the GABA drugs, which are anti-anxiety drugs. Once you create that shift in chemical body chemistry, your sense of well-being changes, the actual perception, perception of pain drops down dramatically, but the essence of that process is feeling safe, right? If you feel safe, your body chemistry changes dramatically. That means talking to your physician, talking to your surgeon, talking to your team, feeling very comfortable with the knowledge of what's going on, why we're doing it. And again, going back to my book, the book is a, we worked on this very hard to make it very concise. Within about two hours, you know exactly the issues involved. The middle part of the book is the background about why this book is critical. Then the final two appendices gives you your specific diagnosis to look it up. And it gives you the capacity or the ability to talk to your surgeon and say, look, if you say I need surgery, why? Tell me the reasons why I need the operation. It's not asking you to, to make the decision on your own, but it allows you to have a conversation with the healthcare team that says, okay, have we done this? Have we done this? Why are we doing this? This is just disc degeneration. I mean, many patients are told, many patients are terrified by the physicians seeing you have degenerative disc disease. As you know, the correct term is normally aging disc, and degenerating disc are not a disease. So just understanding the issues very clearly is a huge factor actually getting control, calm down the nervous system, and actually solving the pain. The book is concise, is organized. The response has been very positive. It's also intended for chiropractors, physical therapists, massage therapists, as well as non-surgeons to allow them to have the conversation with their patients to the surgeon, because right now the surgeon makes a decision, needs surgery, well, there's no accountability. Nobody can actually talk, can talk to the surgeon, well, why are you doing this? So right now, many decisions are made very quickly by the surgeon's team without a complete evaluation. Many surgeons, of course, do the opposite of that. But if you run across a surgeon who's making quick snap decisions without talking to you and carefully examining you, it's dangerous. I mean, one of my fellows was told back east to go into a surgeon's room and sign the patient up for surgery. The surgeon hadn't seen the patient, hadn't examined this person, had looked at the MRI scan and said, sign the patient up for surgery. Well, my former fellow walked into the room and the person had tendonitis. But just by touching the sides of this person's legs, both the iliotibial bands were very, very tender which is the same distribution as the alpha nerve root. The treatment there is physical therapy, stretching and strengthening. It's not spine surgery because the spine wasn't causing the problem. But yeah, you have to know your surgeon. You have to know over time. I've had, I've had several patients over the years I've seen where they've had back surgery done for hip arthritis, which of course doesn't work. The procedure course is a hip replacement. There's one famous case where there was four spine surgeries done for hip arthritis. Anyways, the, the, the key issue is knowing your surgeons, having the information to be able to talk to your surgeon. And this book is the only book that combines the nervous system and the anatomy into one book and organizes it in a grid that allows you to just say, look, this is who I am. This is what I need. 
and allows you to pursue that course. So it sounds in a way that it's a, like a great complement to Back in Control, your original book, in that it, it gives patients a set of tools they can use in talking to a surgeon if they're, you know, if they're considering spine surgery or if they've been told they need it. It can be a complement to the work they've been doing with the Back in Control book. In the surgical book, I briefly outline the overview of Back in Control and present the concepts of how people can heal their pain. So let's say you're now confronted with the decision to do surgery or not. You can grab the surgical book and say, look, this is what I need to do or not. Then work backwards and go into the back of control process and actually solve your chronic pain. If you happen to start with the back of control book first, why most people actually don't end up seeing a surgeon, but if they do come up, if they're not doing well and not proceeding like they would like to, then you can pick up the surgical book because again, surgery telehealth is the ultimate answer whether it's even a possibility or not. So what it does allows you as you go through the rehab process and you're not making the progress that you would like, and you're considering surgery to actually now pick up this book and give a whole detailed process of how you make that decision. So yes, the answer is it's an adjunct to back and control. You can go either direction. And then this website, backincontrol.com is linked to both books. And the website is the action plan of the books. It allows you to help make a better decision, understand your anatomy, help you maintain control of your care. And between the book and the website, we've had hundreds of patients go to pain-free with mostly a self-directed process. My people all over the country email me every week about how they're doing great. I've never talked to them. And I, you know, as you know, I've been very excited about the process. But this book is a, it's a huge adjunct from my world of 30 years of saying, look, you either need it or you don't, and the reasons why. Well, I'm very, very timely. So, David, uh, this has been really, really enlightening. I think uh, a lot of people hopefully will use this book to make a better decision about spine surgery um, so that if they don't need spine surgery, they won't take that risk and possibly ruin their lives. And if they do, they know at least they've made an informed decision. Right. I want to remind our listeners that we'll be back next week with another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And if you would like more information on either back in control or do you really need spine surgery, please visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.